Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. The voice of Cedarville University Athletics also is the person who made the last field goal in the old Tyler Gymnasium. Mark Womack's shot sent Cedarville to the NAIA National Tournament, and nearly 40 years later, he's still following the Jackets as Sports Information Director. Enjoy this conversation with Mark Womack and Mark Weinstein. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Weinstein, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. We are rapidly moving through the month of February and closer to warmer weather, at least here in the northern states, for which some of us are thankful. Joining me today on the program in between college basketball games, indoor track meets, and preparation for our spring sports is longtime sports information director Mark Womack. Mark has been Cedarville sports information director since 1983, the year he graduated from Cedarville. In his role, Mark coordinates all information and statistics generated by the 16 Yellow Jacket intercollegiate teams. He was also the longstanding voice of the Yellow Jacket Sports Update for the CDR radio network from 1982 through 2010, and he is the current play-by-play voice for Yellow Jacket basketball. As a college athlete at Cedarville, Mark was a four-year member of the Yellow Jacket basketball and golf teams. He was inducted into the Cedarville University Athletic Hall of Fame in 2001 and was the recipient of the Clarence Ike Pearson Award in 2000, which the honor is given by the NAIA Sports Information Directors of America for his outstanding achievements in the sports information field. Mark and his wife Amy have three married daughters, all of whom are Cedarville graduates and five grandchildren. Mark, welcome to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. It's great to have you in studio and on the program. Thanks for the invite, Mark. It's always good to be with you. And uh, for our listeners, we do have a little bit of uh, history, um, actually a lot of history in my mind, because I don't think I've known known anyone longer from Cedarville than you, uh, going back to 89. But I want to start this podcast off in uh, a unique way, kind of off the wall way. Um, In Cedarville athletic circles, you may be the most well-known person. And I want to talk about your athletic career and your role as SID later on the podcast, but I want to start by talking about where you're from. You're from Turtletown, USA, also known as Cherubusco, Indiana. That's correct. So let's, here's the question. All right. Do you know how Cherubusco became known as Turtletown? I do. I mean, I know, you should. I know the story, you know, whether people want to believe it or not, but it, Occurred in 1949, yep. out on Folk Lake, uh, where the uh, the local there claimed he saw this bigger than life turtle, like 500 pounds. Yeah, and it it drew national attention, <laughs> national media, um, you know, and it, it stuck. Thanks for enlightening us on that <laughs> important topic. But more to the point of today's conversation, how did you first learn of Cedarville, Cedarville University specifically? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I never heard of Cedarville until my senior year of high school, and and my hometown is no more than three hours away from here. Right. And having grown up in the church, um, you would think we would have heard of Cedarville, and I didn't. Yeah. And um, my pastor, the late Marvin Troyer, mm-hmm. returned to my hometown. He was there in the early 60s when I was just a little guy, but he returned to our church, Good News Baptist Church. His first Sunday there was uh, Christmas Day of 1977. And he introduced me to Cedarville. Okay. And um, here I am. I when I came and visited, and and uh, practically never left. Really, you haven't. I mm-hmm. mean, 
40 years or so you've been here at Cedarville, probably longer, including your years as a student, Yeah, I right? came as a freshman in 1978. Yeah. I know from past conversations, Mark, we've had many because we've known each other for 30 years, but you attended basketball camps as a youth. And one camp in particular, the Lancer basketball camp with head coach Jim Kessler at Grace College, was one that you really enjoyed. Uh, I asked this question as a colleague and also as a Grace College alum, Mm -hmm. was it a matter of you wanting to move away from home that helped you decide to come to Cedarville and not Grace, even though my alma mater was just within an hour's driving distance? Did you want to leave home, or did you not like Grace, or was Cedarville just so overwhelmingly great? You know, I never even looked at Grace, and I don't think they looked at me either. That was their mistake. Well, yeah, but I took a peek at Taylor. I had some friends that looked looked there. I wanted a major in broadcasting, um, believe it or not, I took a look at Evansville. I had a, I had a cousin that uh, taught down there, and uh, they had a good broadcasting program. But, um, you know, I, I had a naive 18-year-old. I guess I never really thought about it. And once I was introduced to Cedarville, which would have been, I didn't even visit until May of my senior year. And by, at that time, we were on quarters here at the, university, okay. at the college. So, they, you know, they were in session um, that was it. I mean, I wanted to play basketball and golf somewhere. And, uh, I didn't meet coach Callen until after my basketball season had ended. He never even saw me play in person and, uh, met him, met the golf coach, Alan Monroe. Yeah. And all I can say is the, the Lord was in it. I just knew that this was a place. So were you offered a scholarship or were you a walk on or? Yeah. That I mean, work? they were very, it was very little coach. He would chuckle about that. I might have been offered three or four hundred bucks. I don't know. Of course, attending Cedarville forty plus years ago was that's a lot of money, a, a lot cheaper. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was on on somewhat of a scholarship for two sports. So think back, go back to the the late nineteen seventies when you were a freshman. Um, how would you compare your time then and the campus then to your time now in the in the campus today? Yeah. You know, the, the enrollment then was, I don't know, 1,200 or so. You felt like everybody really knew everyone. Um, it was a college atmosphere. And now, was, you know, we're, we're a university. And it just comes with, with size. Yeah. You know, we're, we're three times the size of that now. And so it's, while chapel has been the con, a real consistent part where everybody gathers together, you know, back in those days, you just felt like everybody knew everyone. Where was Chapel at that point when you were yeah, a student? Yeah, it was in the Apple building. Okay. Mm-hmm. So as I worked on um, just trying to deter- determine good questions to ask you, um, I I don't know the story. I don't know the backstory, but I believe you met your wife Amy here I did. at Cedar Row. What's the What's the story there? How did you meet Amy? Yeah, basketball cheerleader story. Amy was two classes ahead of me. She liked your jump shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll let her answer that. But, um, so she was two years ahead of me. She was on the cheerleading squad and, um, we started dating towards the end of her senior year. And then we were married in the summer before my senior year. Okay. Yeah. Is that a challenge? Um, or was that a challenge to be still in school and be married and had the responsibility of, I assume, caring for the house? Yeah. It wasn't for me. Other people thought it was going to be. You know, she worked in, in what was called the campus activities office then, okay. is what she did. We just had an apartment across the street, and um, 
fortunately at that time, I don't know how it is now, spouses still got they got tuition remission. So that was huge. That would help. Praise the Lord for that. Um, and then I actually had to take an extra year to get my degree. So I was class of 82, got my degree in right. in 83. But um, no, we were able to work through it, and uh, everything went well, even with me playing basketball and golf. And was it the... Was it the marriage that had you extend your academics? Nope. I changed majors. So I came to, as a broadcast major, got about halfway through there. I, I just wanted to do sports announcing, which yeah. I wanted to do, to do now. And believe it or not, mathematics always came easy to me. So my degree from Cedarville is actually in math. Really? Yeah. So I'd switch majors, and I needed that extra year to complete that degree. So in a way, there are many realities that you have done sports broadcasting. You, you've done it for mm-hmm. the Yellow Jackets. Did you have aspirations? Because uh, you're a Indiana guy. I know you, um, what, you like IU and you like Notre Dame mm-hmm. uh, athletically. Did you have aspirations to do uh, play-by-play for schools and programs like those? Uh, yes and no. You know, um, never wanted to move up the ladder, really. Always a small-town guy. Uh, ironically, if there was a sport that I would have loved to take a crack at is ice hockey. Really? That's my favorite professional sport. That would have really intrigued me. But um, Indiana, uh, Indiana basketball is what I'm a fan of in Notre Dame football, and they've had longtime announcers. But it's not as easy as you think, and to crack into a network like that, that'd be really difficult, but certainly intriguing. Mark, uh, you became the SID back in 83, as you just mentioned, uh, the year you graduated. Um, I don't know this answer. Are you the first full-time SID at Cedarville? I am. Obviously, you're the longest standing uh, SID. Um, mm-hmm. How long do you want to keep doing this? Yeah, I get asked that all the time. Uh, this is year 39 is where you are doing this. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It, the, the difficulty with sports information now is remaining relevant. It has gone from when I started... Um, nothing was real time except the game itself. Right. Um, you know, calling a newspaper afterwards or a TV station, and now everything is real time from the live stats to live video to the social media, and, uh, you know, people are able to check things on their phone. And so, you know, as you get older, it, it can be a little harder to keep up. So th- that's always a challenge for me. The social media part, can be a challenge, whereas the younger generation, you know, it's just second nature. Right. But how much longer, you know, as as, Lord, as long as the Lord and the university allows me to do what I am doing and I still enjoy it, uh, hopefully I got a few years left in me. How do you stay relevant? Yeah. Um, and I and and that word is key because um, at one of the recent college sports information directors conventions I was at. My wife was with me and it was at a luncheon. I had left the table and a younger SID, a gal asked my wife that question, how does your husband stay relevant? Yeah. I mean, it takes work. It does. It, so you rely on good sources, um, in the, in regards to social media, to the younger set for their influence. Fortunately, our youngest daughter is a graphic designer, right? She was with the Dayton dragons for a little bit. So Allie has helped me immensely in that regard. Our older two are communications um, majors, so they've helped me with uh, odds and ends. So it's being willing to learn, uh, seek those who know better than you are, and then learn what you what you have to to be 
relevant. Yeah. So when you think back to your 40-year career and how it was when you started to how it is now, is it is it fair to say that maybe the early years were more fun for you? Or maybe now is more fun. How would you uh, assess that? Certainly not as intense in the early years. Right. Technology, without question, has changed the sports information game. Uh, no pun intended there. Right. But there are literally a couple of sports back in the day I would just show up to set in the bleachers. Um, baseball and softball, they kept their stats in the dugout. That's just the way it, I didn't have to do that. We didn't even have PA announcers at baseball. So right. now we're in charge of all that. The stats, the live stats, setting up the PA announcers, the talent that's there for video streaming, that kind of thing. So it's made it more intense. I've always said the games are the easiest part. And to me, that right. remains the same today. It's all the prep ahead of time, everything we have to do afterwards. But the games themselves are always the easiest and the most fun. No doubt the, the game. I mean, I, that's where, where I broke in in, in college. Right. Uh, with, that's how we met. That's how we met, sports information, when I was at uh, Mount Vernon and then Geneva. Um, but it is rare that one person stays 40 years in, in a career. And I'm a classic example of the other way. I've been at six universities in 33 years. Yeah. So what are some spiritual and professional lessons that you've learned along your 40-year tenure staying right here in Cedarville? Probably the biggest thing is contentment. Um, I, I've just not been wired to bop around. We, we've lived in the same house almost 38 years. Um, I, I have not been interested in having to check out the next best job, try to move up to Division One. Um, and we've had graduates that have, have done that. But um, to bring it back around to the spiritual part, just to be content with what I'm doing. I'm a small-town guy, you know, yeah, we, maybe it's a Cedarville bubble, and I should have branched out a little bit. Um, but I've just, my wife and I have just been content here and thankful for what the Lord's given us, and to try to use our gifts here right. as best we can. Where's Amy originally from? Yeah, she's from. She was born in Scranton, Pennsylvania. From Binghamton, New York, is where she grew up. Her father was a, a pastor. Okay, mm -hmm. so small town life is what you guys both. Mm -hmm. have resonated with right and obviously cedarville uh, fits that bill fits quite well bill. actually mm -hmm. the, the university is actually larger than the village when uh we're in session exactly so yeah well let's pivot uh for a brief moment and move into your basketball career at cedarville because mm -hmm. you had uh some great successes as a yellow jacket mark you're currently ranked number 27 on the all-time scoring list with 1357 points you shot 57 percent from the field for your career which is amazing and you were the MVP in 1981-82, which would have been your senior year, correct? correct. Mm -hmm. Of all these accomplishments, what stands out the most to you today? Relationships with the teammates. So none of this stuff? No. It was fun to win. We, um, my first, the first year in the athletic center was my senior year. Um, so I played the first three years in what is now the Tyler building, which looks right. nothing like it did in the gym, as the gym then, because they've added a second floor. But it's just an incredible atmosphere. We won two district championships in the NAIA, and that, that's what got you the national tournament. Um, but I remember after our last game in Kansas City my senior year, Coach Callen said the very thing. He says, you're going to remember the relationships the most. 
of mm-hmm. anything you've ever experienced at Cedarville. I mean, my career from fifth grade through college was done. I wasn't going to play competitively anymore, and that is the truth. My and when you leave high school, you think, "Why am I leaving these friends from high school?" You know, right? Uh, they're going to be my best friends forever. Yeah, they're friends, but the college teammates, um, well, they last for last forever. And so, in basketball and golf, I was texting with a, a golf teammate of mine this morning from he lives in Florida. Um, that was the that's the thing I will remember the most, and my two coaches. Yeah, you had some good coaches, and those two in particular. But as I think about um, relationships, how have your teammates strengthened you post playing basketball to this date? Sure. As you go through life, I mean, we're all going through ups and downs. We're in that stage of life now where we're we are losing parents, yeah. or we have children that are going through tough times. And so we're building each other up. We've built each other up through these decades. So when you get to these points in your life, it's just natural to support one another and to be in touch with one another. And that is irreplaceable. And that's a special part, I'm sure, of every university. But with Cedarville, it's just extra special. So you alluded to some great success from the team's perspective. Right. Would you um, attribute some of that to just the relationships that there, you, you as players weren't competing against each other, but you were one, one team. That's a good point. Um, not only was I blessed to play on two basketball district championship teams, but two golf teams. Okay. Um, so I got the chance to go to four national tournaments, two in each sport. And yeah, so at least with the teams I was on, you didn't have those distractions, uh, especially with basketball. Um, on the team. You know, back back in those days, guys didn't play as much. Not as many guys played. On the teams I played, three, sometimes four of us, we'd play all 40 minutes. Yeah. So you got teammates on the bench. I mean, they never got in, but supportive and encouraging. And it was that part of the game was different. But now as we have experienced life, we've been able to support one another. Let's talk yeah. about that support because I just I wasn't going to answer this question, but it just re- I just realized uh, just in the within the last two three years you've lost both parents. Yeah, just in the last few months. Yes, with mm-hmm. your mom. With the moms, correct? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah with the moms. Right. So, um, how did your teammates come around you then? Yeah, just how you doing? You know, texting. What can I do? Those that were local uh, coming by. Um, you know, for when my mom's funeral took place just, uh, what, three-plus months ago, you know, a teammate drove down from Cleveland just for the day to come down, you know, be with me and, and that kind of thing. And I, then I've tried to do, you know, you try to do the same for for my teammates who have experienced similar things. Yeah. yeah. That is um, truly remarkable and really it really uh, identifies what the Christian life should be about anyways. And it's nice to see it. It's practical living from watching um, in our experience here, my two coaches who are Don, who, Callen. Don Callen and Alan Monroe. Okay. Um, who used to be in the social science uh, department was my golf coach just to see them live, serve others. Those professors that were here during my time, Many of them have names on buildings around here. Right. You know, uh, Dr. Paul Dixon, his first year as president was my freshman year. Okay. Um, 
and everyone on down, just seeing the way they lived, and you latch onto that as a as a Christian. At least you should. Are you able to share that with today's current students, or, or say student athletes? Yeah. Well, now some some I know better than others. Um, that that is one negative I think of of doing what what I'm doing. Um, we have 300 some athletes, you know. So some naturally I may cross their path more than I cross others, but uh, perhaps those I do uh, have some contact with, yeah, just encourage them to do the same. Well, as we prepare to close today's program, um, I want to touch on one element of your college career, and that is you made a big shot in Cedarville history that was in a tournament game, I believe, and that sent the Yellow Jackets to the national tournament. Um, and if I'm correct, most people in the gym that night on that game thought your teammate Eric Mounts was going to take that shot and, and win the game for the Yellow Jackets. Relive that experience for us. Take us through the whole scenario. You know, that was, that was in March of 1981, and I can, I can see things as I close my eyes just like it was yesterday. It was the last game in that old gym. Correct. And we were playing Defiance College, who had beaten us badly in the very same game on our court the year before. And uh, ironically, the first year of the Athletic Center, we played them yet a third straight year and beat them there to, in, in the first year in that building. But um, Defiance, remember, no shot clock. They had stalled the last two and a half minutes of the, of the contest of a tie game. They, they, and, it, and the score was 78-78 when you took the shot. It was. So that's they, a high-scoring game. It was. It was actually, it was like 50 to 48 at halftime. And then it was more defensive where you entered the second half. Okay. And then Defiance was called for traveling with eight seconds to go. They had held the ball for over two minutes and called for traveling. And um, we come to the huddle. Uh, coach just says, he, we inbounded the ball to get it to half court. That took four seconds. We had four seconds left. <laughs> and we had a sideline out-of-bounds play that, uh, was specifically geared to Eric Mounts getting the ball, who is still our all-time leading scorer. He is. And you'd have to ask Coach why he designed it this way. Everybody ran the same except me. He had me run reverse of what I typically did. Typically, I started low and broke out high towards half court to grab the ball. He had me start at the half court area. I went off a pick to uh, the low side on the left, got the ball. I can still see Eric passing it to me right now. And I wasn't really good one-on-one off the dribble, but I caught it, had to take one dribble and and just jump as high as I could. And like 15 feet, fortunately it went in. Nothing but net or did it clank around? No, it was swished through and then it was just instant humanity on the on the floor. You know, back in those days when we played basketball, the campus stopped. Of course, it's, it's pre-social media. I mean, it's totally different culture uh, back then so was the you know so was the university of what students could do right. and and it was like that well before I got here but it was just a happening at those games and so that was one game I remember once we finally got down to the locker room my ears were literally ringing from the uh, from the noise uh, that night and our pet band was there under Mike DeKerchi and oh my yeah it was just uh that was an incredible experience really a moment you dream of that was a lot of fun. Never forget that, so do you? Never forget it. And so I, I remember as a visiting SID, I mm-hmm. came in here with um, Mount Vernon. Right. I came in here with Geneva. 
And it was always a highlight for me to come to Cedarville for a game. Not because the game, because I figured we were going to lose anyways. <laughs> you guys, Cedarville was always good. But I loved the pep band and what Mike DeCurci did with that with that group. It was, it I'll say arguably, one of the best small college atmospheres in the country. No doubt. His band was 100 strong. Um, it was just packed. I mean, we, you know, even in my days as an SID, we had a, there was a period of time where our faculty, staff, and students had to pick up a ticket in advance of the game at really? the athletic center or else you weren't going to get in. Really? Yeah. And, and we had to limit tickets to the visitors. It was just an incredible event. And, um, it's not only that, not that way here, but schools across the country. It's just, it's just a new day of trying to attract your people to the games. There's so many distractions. Correct. And um, yeah. how do you compete with that? Right. And, and we're still one of the best atmospheres. Yeah. Still. Again, I, I go back to what you said earlier about, you know, what do you remember about your college playing days mm-hmm. is the relationships. I think that's a key to bringing fans, students to the games is relationships with players and coaches and, and vice versa. So No doubt. That's critical to be a part of the campus, be a part of your fellow students, and they'll just naturally come. That's right. So – you, you shared the, the story, but you didn't share it fully. And, and by that I mean, not only did you make the shot to win the game and take your team to Kansas City for the tournament, but you also made the final field goal in Tyler Gymnasium. Right. So that's historic. I mean, no one else can claim that. You can. Uh, does that add to the, the luster of your memory that you made the last shot in Tyler? It's just cool. I mean, you know, whoever. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I grew up in Indiana, which is just basketball. Hoosiers. Nuts. Right. Uh, yeah, Hoosiers, probably my favorite movie. When I was playing, it was single-class basketball tournament. <laughs> I mean, that was just, at least for, for me where I grew up, basketball is huge. And so to have, you know, an event like that, yeah. that um, it, it, just, it just happened. Who, who would have who thought? And I was just fortunate to be in the right spot at the right time and the right team. Was Eric actually go back to the the play that Coach drew up? Was Eric surprised that he wasn't getting the ball? I think everybody was surprised. <laughs> uh, you know, Eric had thirty points in that game. He had thirty of our eighty points. Um, I had a great first half, and I had only made one basket in the second half before that shot. So, wow! I mean, Eric could score. He could. He was a scorer, um, and so. I don't know. Again, you have to ask Coach Callen what he was thinking, but it worked out. Well, I'll have a podcast later on, and I'll ask Coach that question. <laughs> but uh, but speaking about Eric, boy, can you imagine how many points he'd have if there was a three-point line? I've, I bet at least 300 more. He has 2,648 points without a three-point line. Yeah, wow. phenomenal. He was a phenomenal uh, score. But, Mark, we're, we're out of time. Um, but my last question uh, brings us back to the purpose of the podcast, and that's to share Cedarville stories for God's glory. How are you in your life bringing God glory in what you do and who you are? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. That's, that's what we're all about. Lord has given me specific talents, a way to communicate, and to use my interest in athletics to share about what Cedarville is and who we are and who our students, who our students are. So it's just a daily prayer to the Lord, you know, God, how, how are you going to use me today? I've literally prayed, Mark, that, God, if you don't want me at Cedarville, 
you know, show me specifically, or do you want me to do something else at the university or what have you? But for whatever reason, he has given me a passion for uh, athletics and Cedarville. And, uh, you know, my only hope is in him. Right. So just bringing that all together to being, to bring praise to him and do stuff as well as I can for as long as I can. Yeah, it's a great response. And I'm sure you feel the same way as I'm, I do. And I'm going to say this, that being a, a former sports information person, person who loves sports today, I don't know of a better profession that allows sport and faith intersect mm-hmm. than what you're doing and what others have the opportunity to do. And uh, that's just a great opportunity, a great platform that you have. Definitely. And Cedarville is very unique in the NCAA now that we've you know, become Division Two to uh, prayerfully our light can shine even brighter. It has a great opportunity. Mark, thanks for joining me this week on the podcast. Great to be with you. Thanks, Mark. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.